0: Welcome to Headline Buster, brought to you by The Point with me, Liu Xin. In this series, I dissect stories that are making headlines around the world and talk to my guests to make up all the missing pieces and some deliberately of the puzzle. So join us in real time by sending us your comments or questions via the CGTN page on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Weibo. We live stream Headline Buster at 11 a.m. Beijing time on Thursdays and air the segment on TV at 11.30 a.m. Beijing time on Friday. So do join us during the live streaming and getting touch. We would love to receive and possibly read out your insightful comments. This week our focus is population. India's population will surpass that of China this year. According to the UN estimates published last week, the ink was barely dry on the state of world population report that uh, foreign media went into overdrive, verging on the hubristic. I checked on Twitter. It's crazy. Everyone was so crazy about it, was so excited about it. One commentator went as far as accusing China of insulting the Indian people when interpreting foreign ministry spokesperson's comment on the subject. So let's look at the raw data. UN estimates predict that India's population will reach around 1.429 billion this year against 1.426 billion in China, major 3 million. Nothing really to write home about, apparently. Is it the proverbial storm in a teacup? Still, some are so excited about it, so let's get down to the nitty-gritty of it. But first, two details worth mentioning. First, the $1.426 billion estimate is for the Chinese mainland only, excluding Hong Kong, Macau, and Taiwan. Therefore, it is not accurate to say that India's population will exceed that of China. Secondly, the report is comparing apples with oranges. The most reliable figures for India's population come from the 2011 census. The latest census should have been done in 2021, but was delayed because of covid However, in July 2020, India's Census Office released projections for the year 2012 to 2036, which can serve as an official estimate of its current population. The numbers put India's population in 2023 to be 1.388 billion, significantly less than the UN estimate and less than that of uh, Chinese mainland. So it's not surprising that in an interview with the BBC, even the UN's chief of population estimates and projections says any numbers about India's real population size are naive assumptions based on fragmental information. We don't have real official data coming from India, he admits. So we're talking about a very vague estimates. But still, As um, we usually do before we dive into media critiques, let's look at China's demographics from the 2021 national census just to be a bit more knowledgeable. Now, things are not as grim as they are being portrayed. The national population was 1.443 billion persons, if you can remember that number, including Chinese mainland, Hong Kong, Macau and Taiwan. The population on the Chinese mainland was put at 1.412 billion, which is an increase of 5.4% compared with a decade ago. Now, the average annual growth rate was 0.53%. However, it has to be said the total population of China slightly Uh, of the Chinese mainland slightly decreased by 850,000 in 2022. The further aging of the population is, however, a noticeable trend, and China has set the wheels in motion to address the issue. As a result, although the proportion of those aged 60 and above has gone up, average life expectancy also rose from 74.8 years in 2010 to 77.9 years in 2021. That means the average Chinese is living three years longer in 10 years time. Also worth noting is China's tremendous efforts in education and training compared to some 9% in 2010. About 15% of Chinese received university education by 2021. That is some 240 million people. That's more than 70% of the population of the United States. That's what Foreign Ministry Spokesperson Wang Bing was referring to when he mentioned Quality of the population is nothing short of a miracle which propelled China's double digit growth over the past decades. And as a result, a 400 million plus middle income group has emerged in China, the largest in the world. It's obvious how China's growth has added much needed fuel to the world economy in the past decades. Despite a slower growth in population since the 1980s, China's share of world GDP rose significantly and its global cloud is expanding by the day. Now, don't these figures and facts have any bearing on the matter in hand? Most Western media stories seem to have ignored them so so that the story could probably fit in their narrative like a glove. It follows, in my eyes, a time-honored pattern of looking for a crack in China's armor and rub salt into the wound. Let's have a closer look at their modus operandi. First... Discrediting China. Now, as a rule of thumb, most Western mainstream media will bang on about any piece of story that can take China down a notch or two. The population story is yet another attempt, in my eyes, at just that. Look at those headlines. For the New York Times, for instance, a shrinking and aging population will make it harder to sustain economic growth and achieve its geopolitical ambitions to surpass the United States. Well, not that sure. The latest figures show that China's economy grew by 4.5% in the first quarter, the fastest pace in a year, and among the highest in the world. And it's still going strong. Then, this doom-mongering story on CNN probably took its cue from a Hollywood disaster movie and tried to instill anxiety, saying... But China reported one of its worst economic growth numbers in nearly half a century last year, underscoring the steep challenges the country faces as its labor force shrinks and the ranks of the retired swell. Well, 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 that's a bit rich coming from a media that claims to be the most trusted name in the news, but cherry-picks what it deems newsworthy. Why not use the 4.5% number, as I said? Maybe that won't fit into the narrative so nicely. And this New York Times article closes ranks around that feeling of global impending doom and blames China's so-called shrinking population. China struggled for years to curtail its rabid population growth. Now that its population is declining, economists and others fear serious implications for China and countries around the world. This article portrays China's population growth slowdown as entirely negative and filled with with dire, if not catastrophic, consequences. These stories are highly misleading in my eyes because they take into account raw figures and not the actual trends and the larger picture. For instance, did they mention that India's population growth is also slowing? Fertility rates have fallen from 5.7 births per woman in 1950 to 2.2 today. Do Western media have similar concerns about India's population? Apparently not. Why? Why? Well, there seems to be a consensus in in some in the West that uh, India is a democracy, therefore one of us, and communist or autocratic China, one of them. So when it comes to demography, one man's meat is another's poison. China's huge population was problematic, but not India's, because India is even more now a democracy, a larger one. The NIT goes a little bit overboard and prophesizes the advent of an Indian century. Exit China, enters India. India is West's new goat, apparently, just because it becomes the world's most populous country. More than one story mentions India, the world's largest democracy, as if the combination of huge population and Western-style democracy was the sole yardstick to assess a country's achievement. Pull the other one. Are Western media genuinely happy for India? Or is it merely a more convenient pawn and Western eyes are forced numerous enough to counterbalance China? But the icing on the cake is that such a perspective is also fraught with Western-centric bias and smacks of China bashing. Let's go back to this piece from the NYT claiming that um, China's shrinking population is a problem for everyone. Well, should it actually read China's shrinking population is a problem for the West because the article says that a shrinking population could mean a decline in spending by Chinese consumers threatening global brands depending on sales of products to China from Apple smartphones to Nike sneakers. So, less Chinese equals less cheap labor and consumers for Western brands? This Western-centric way of looking at the world is the problem. The Wall Street Journal repeats the cliched India as the world's largest democracy, saying that the world's center of gravity is shifting. At least they didn't use the word pivot, if you get my drift. So India's larger population makes it a natural partner and investment destination for the United States. It may be unpredictable and have a tendency to assert its own interests, but what the hey, they can make big mugs, big bucks, can't we? It might even be a bonanza like China 30 years ago. The Wall Street Journal sees India as the next world factory and discusses how the West can tap into the Indian market. Can India simply replace China, and does the West regard these countries as mere tools? On the geopolitical front, is China bashing with no holds barred? If India's decision not to join sanctions against Russia has raised concerns among Western countries, the main concern – remains China. What's the logic? And India can get a free pass on global sanctions against Russia as long as it is one of us that is building close relations with the US, Japan and Australia in the Quad Grouping, so on and so forth. QED. The Wall Street Journal has made a valid point, though, that the world's centre of gravity is shifting towards the south and developing countries. And for Western countries, there has been another tectonic shift. It's not... My way or the highway anymore. China and India are both major developing countries and BRICS partners. And if size matters, it's not just about population. Together, we do represent almost one third of the world's population and our combined economic strength can make a positive and significant impact. China welcomes India's development and hopes that India will leverage its demographic advantage to find a development path that suits its own needs are contributing to global development and peace. What's not to like about that? You've been watching Headline Buster, brought to you by The Point with me, Li Xin. We'll take a short break, and when we come back, four guests from China and India and the United States will join us to talk about this issue. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Headline Buster, brought to you by The Point with me, Li Xin. I'm pleased to be joined for our panel discussion, uh, Ms. Zhang Xiaoyu, research fellow from the Center uh, for BRIC study of uh, communications University of uh, China. Senior Asia Pacific International Relations Policy Specialist uh, Surab Gupta from the Institute for China America Studies joining us from Maryland, the United States. Um, Professor Michael Powers from the School of Economics and Management of Tsinghua University. And last but not least, Professor Huang Yinghong from OP Jindal Global University joining us from Shenzhen. The warmest welcome to all of you. So uh, let's uh, get to the discussion uh, once again um, What we're talking about is based on incomplete data, estimations used uh, based on incomplete data that uh, uh, India is projected to surpass China's population by the middle of this year. But the trend is there, that is for sure. And I also want to say, although we were just looking at the story about uh, unemployment challenge in India, there is also an unemployment challenge in China, especially among young people. That has to be said. So let me go to Ms. Zhang first. Uh, What is your assessment of the importance of when it comes to population, does size matter or should other factors be taken into equal consideration?
1: Uh, thank you for having me here today. I think it is important to, to discuss uh, population scope at the moment because it means the market size in general. But more importantly, we need to think about the uh, challenges of the uh, population scope because if we want to um, uh, to see the demographic dividend, we need to solve many problems. Actually, China has done a great job during the last past uh, during the past four decades. Uh, we We have more young people to be educated. And uh, India is uh, facing uh, challenges as well now. Uh, I would not say quality but social challenges for young people, including the education, uh, medicine, and also uh, cost discrimination in a higher education and in general society uh, especially. So uh, what we are going to talk about the uh, population scope and also uh, including the population trend in future, I think more importantly, we should pay more attention to problems and challenges, especially in these two aspects China and mm-hmm. India can share many experiences together.
0: Okay, Mr. Gupta, your take. Uh, you know, population is both
2: an asset; it is also a liability. It's what you do with it. But if it if you do succeed in in in, in educating your population and using it to its maximum produ- productivity, a large population is obviously very very helpful because it creates a huge domestic market from an economic standpoint. I would say one more thing though. Population is not all that it's cracked up to be. Population is important as part of GDP growth, yes, but also the other important transitions, you know, transitioning from, from, from farm to city, that itself inheres huge amount of productivity, productive capacity. Uh, the transition from state to market, I think, have created the potential for great growth. It depends on what you do with it. Mm.
0: So. Professor Powers, your take on the subject, observing from a third country perspective, uh, really, are we talking about a valid uh, topic? Does population really matter or who is the world's most populous country? Does it really matter that much?
3: Um, I think it matters, but, but I think that there are two issues here. One is the the particular event that uh, perhaps India's population has now um, grown higher than, than China's population. Uh, that that particular event was long seen. It may already have occurred. It may occur some months from now. It's sort of like my you know my my 65th birthday, which will come in a few years. I I know it's coming. Um, the day before I become 65 and the day after, I, I probably will feel more or less the same. Um, and I don't you know, expect a dramatic change. So I, I think the, the same is true here, that we're talking about two countries that have very large populations in excess of 1.4 billion people. Um, that hasn't changed over the past few years, and it won't change over the, the next few years. Uh, so yes, it, it might be worth commenting on the crossing of these trends, um, but I, I don't think that that um, that, that that portends but does, anything specific yeah, but do, with regard to, see, to world power.
0: Yes. Do you see the, this topic being significant in terms of how these two countries take care of their population, however large it is, uh, whoever may be the world's most populous country? What do you think is the challenges and opportunities uh, when it comes to a larger population?
3: Sure, we, we should discuss those things. But my point is that we could discuss them five years ago or five years from now. That The tone of some of the articles that you, you mentioned, was, it was, was somewhat critical or, or, or as though there's something very dramatic happening at this moment. And that's not the case. Um, yes, it is important. Um, and how a country with a very large population feeds that population, how it educates that population, how it resolves social tensions among people is very important. China and India have very different systems. They call India the world's largest democracy. Um, and um, democracy has advantages, but one of the disadvantages is that it's adversarial in nature. And so that sometimes causes frictions. It's, it sometimes causes a, a, a slowness um, to react to circumstances mm-hmm. that one doesn't have in, in, in alternative um, systems of government. So there are advantages and there are disadvantages. Um, I think that we need to look at these countries as a whole. Um, but i don't i want to emphasize that i don't see this particular point in time as being mm-hmm. um, overly you know excessively dramatic
0: Okay. Well, China, at least, we see our system as a democracy as well, but it's a different democracy that's different from Western liberal-style democracy. Um, anyway, that's a different uh, discussion. Professor Huang, I see you um, quite being quite relaxed when we're talking about this. Are you approaching age in a similar matter? Age, <laughs> using Mr. Power's metaphor.
4: Uh, thing is about the uh, responsibility. Uh, it is not just like to, we have a, a, a bigger population that means an advantage for us. Sometimes the, how we use them, how we develop them, uh, develop them how we empower them, it is uh, also a core concern for these two countries. And I think the another thing is about the uh, democracy, uh, uh, democracy division. I, I disagree with this concept. I don't think this is a good concept. This is a concept means that there is a supply of uh, very cheap labors, uh, unlimitedly, in their society. That means labors can earn a sustainable, uh, salary in this, in this kind of society. And this is no good thing for them. And this, that means it is under development in this society. So it is good that China's population is, is, is declining. That means what? People do not want to give birth to a lot of children. And for the competition in the society. Mm-hmm. Instead, they have to take care of their children, try to give good chance, opportunity to educate them, uh, to keep them in health, and a lot of things. And another, on the other way, they care more about themselves, their time, their career, their development. So I think it, it's, it's a natural result of the development uh, for China at this stage. It's not yeah. mainly made by the birth control. It is an outcome of the socio-economic development of China.
0: Yeah. Okay. And the same time, uh, yeah. yeah. Mr. Huang, you meant, you mentioned a very important term, which is population dividend, very much in the news these days, but you mentioned, you said it is not the right term. Uh, Mr. Zhang, I want to get your perspective and, and the other guests as well. Mr. Zhang, Ms. Zhang first.
1: Uh, Actually, it is a very complicated question, especially in Indian society. Uh, It's not just that easy, especially young people and uh, uh, even the elite education area, uh, young people are facing many challenges. Uh, When we are looking from the uh, Indian markets and also companies, enterprises, uh, there is a saying that young Indian people are facing lack of skills uh, when they are uh, applying for jobs. And currently, the Indian government has developed some projects to improve young people's skills. Uh, There are some results, but I don't think it is abundant for that large population scope and uh, also in china we can see that young people currently uh, are also facing challenges sometimes in employment but uh, the question is young people in china uh, is with better higher education background and also uh, in india on the other hand we see that elite students especially from the IIT they prefer to go to western societies especially the united states mm-hmm. and also the uk uh, for uh, jobs, but Chinese elites are more likely to stay in China. So that is the difference. And uh, mm-hmm. that is uh, the point yeah. we should pay attention to.
0: Okay, yeah. Mr. Gupta, what is your take on the legitimacy or whether the, the word population dividend is really something to celebrate? I, I get uh,
2: Professor Wang's point. I think he's coming in from a very humanistic perspective. We come in as human beings. We don't have China, India stamped on our forehead when we are born. We come in as humans. Where we ideally we are a human society and we live as humans, and we would prefer that it, that 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 we, that that's the way we identify ourselves. Uh, but from a national perspective, not nationalistic, but from a national perspective and from an economic perspective, maybe perhaps a little utilitarian perspective, demographic dividend is important because, as I said, if you can get your act together as a society, it really creates a moment when you can boom, not just economically, per se, you can boom really culturally, the best tendencies about you as a society, not necessarily as a nation, can bloom. So it's important, but it's not easy to do. And particularly in our large societies with humongous youth and, I mean, getting, finding jobs is not straightforward. One has to be very clear about it. And it has not been particularly in India because... Many of these jobs are going to, when they transition from the farm, they're going to go into industry and manufacturing has not been India's strength for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. And India is seeing the, seeing, seeing some of the consequences of this. So this, it's a great advantage. It can be a liability too. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I mean, the demographic dividend should be caught in that respect that it is a great potential and a possibility, but it can, might not play itself out that way. And perhaps this is not the best frame also,
0: but to look at from
2: a more humanistic perspective
0: yeah professor powers do you have another word to to talk about i mean china is talking about a talent dividend You know, having, as I said, 15 percent of its population who have received university education, 240 million people. That's incredible. So China is instead of focusing on the number of population, but the quality of population, hence from demographic uh, dividend to talent dividend. But is there a better way to put it if, if you have ever thought about it?
3: <laughs> uh, there, there, there possibly is a better way to put it. That the the, the, the use of terms like quality and quantity um, with regard to human beings probably uh, isn't the best choice of words. Uh, but I, I think that with the, what, what should be noted is that the China has a very strong system of education, a very um, a very open, equitable system in which people have opportunities from all parts of the country, um, and a very strong um, a higher education system, university system. We now have trained. Uh, millions of people. and actually, um, now more of the challenge is, is to find good jobs for, for those people. The, the country certainly has grown. Um, it leads in many aspects of telecommunications and information technology um, and logistics and so forth. but um, it's still um, it still has has people, that are young people especially who are looking for jobs in yeah. the cities and um, the, the economy will, will need to continue to grow to find jobs for those people. So okay. we're, we're not in a situation which, in which China is running out of people um, mm-hmm. to to, um, to generate uh, yeah. economic growth.
0: Okay, uh, finally, uh, Professor Huang, please keep it short, but I do want to give you the last word. What is the challenge for China right now, besides trying to keep its population still growing instead of declining, if that is possible, but finding jobs and feeding these people, providing them with good quality life?
4: Uh, I think that we do not, know, uh, do not need to worry too much about Chinese population. Because even Chinese population keeps uh, to uh globe. Uh, but it is among the largest uh, populous country in the world. It is, it, the, the scale is very, really, very really big. It is 1.4 billion. And, and the one, like the US, maybe just uh, 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 400 million. So it is only one third sort of the Chinese population. So the population size is very really big. Even India may overcome China. So alert, or, or maybe not, but this is not the, the issue. It is a marginal difference between these two countries. They are still really big. So the problem is, is how to, how to, uh, empower these people, develop them, and give them job. And, and so I think that the core issue is the system, the social and economic system. Mm. Is if, if this system can, uh, educate them, can train them, yeah. and can uh, empower them, then there's no problem. I think China is at a, Okay. The stage we, of the uh, Cardinal development yeah. model is a different have. stage from the India, yeah.
0: Right, right. We have to leave it there, and um, unfortunately, but very important topic and a very interesting one. Many thanks to Ms. Zhang Xiaoyu, research fellow with the Center for Brick Studies from Communications University, from Communication University of China. Uh, Surab Gupta from the Institute of China America Studies, joining us from the United States. Professor Michael Powers from Tsinghua University joining us from Beijing and Professor Huang Yinghong from OP Jindal Global University joining us from Shenzhen, southern China. And with that, we come to the end of this edition of uh, Headline Buster, brought to you by The Point with B. Lixin. As always, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Lixin in Beijing. On behalf of the whole team, thank you for watching and have a great Labor Day holiday.